Our guest today is writer of the Cannabinoids and the People newsletter. He's founder of White Whale Creations. He's host of the Lex Files podcast, a scientist and writer and science director with a bachelor's degree from Boston University in biochemistry and molecular biology. I can't wait for y'all to hear Lex Pelger today. Come on in. Welcome to Season 4 of the Cannabis Truth Podcast. I speak the language of cannabis freely and uncensored while educating my audience on the safe use of this live plant therapy. You should know what's in your cannabis, what's good and what's not. It does not come with an FDA stamp of approval just yet. Using cannabis mindfully as medication is a different concept in Western healthcare philosophy, specifically of the past 100 years. There's a lot to learn and reconsider. The information you'll find here comes straight from scientists and clinicians doing the work and reporting their findings in real time through various live online outlets. The scientific truth of cannabis is finally getting out and is wide open for all to see at the respected medical sites like PubMed.gov and JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. And I'm right there in the thick of it with all those titans of medicine as a fly in the wall because I'm not a doctor, nor did I go to med school, but I did take dozens of private cannabis courses and still engage in continuing education offered by cannabis expert scientists. I love amplifying their work and talking to people all day long about this plant therapy. Cannabis is an amazing alternative in health remedies that can alleviate difficult disease problems and troubling side effects, even those caused by synthetic prescriptions. This is Honey Smith Walls, a 21st century cannabis shaman, not a doctor, not a scientist, raised by nuns and wolves in the verdant cattle pastures of the Oklahoma oil fields. I'm here to amplify the truth of this great big story of cannabis in historical, political, scientific, and spiritual terms so you can make educated decisions about the medicine you choose to ingest. It sounds like I have Lex. All right. Hi. Oh, hi. Gosh, I'm thrilled that you could spend a little time with us. Lex, I've been hanging out on your website for a few minutes and um, I'm, I'm, I am I'm don't even know where to start, you know, between Marjorie Willicott and, and uh, uh, the, the, white whale creations and the Moby Dick pot books and the, and, and you being with the father of cannabis and everything. And here you are with us sharing some of all of your experiences. We're just really grateful. Okay. Thanks so much. Why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself, won't you? Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in uh, farm country in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And 
what really got me interested in studying drugs in general was in college, just taking magic mushrooms and walking with friends. And they say that your first good experience of drugs and sex flavor all of the rest. And so my first good experience was just walking with friends through, you know, half nature, half like nice urban settings. And mm. that's how I've liked to do it ever since. And so I started studying how psychedelics worked in the brain and then talking to a lot of people in the real world about what they were experiencing. And then eventually I wanted to write my first book and I'm like, well, I'll, I'll start with cannabis. How hard could it be? I'll get it done in a year. You know, <laughs> splash, splash. Um, and that was my great hubris because I didn't know who Jack Herrera was. I didn't know about anandamide. I thought I was mm. this hot shot young drug writer and I didn't know the endocannabinoid system yet. And so I spent five years just doing research on the science of it and then doing a lot of traveling to talk to experts around the US and some in Europe and Israel as well. And so I finally did get some of those books written. It's a graphic novel series. It's based on Moby Dick. Uh, one of them's available for sale on Amazon right now. You can see some of the other chapters at lexpelger.com. And it's I what wish I'm it were an audio, <laughs> Lex. I, I might, I'm thinking about doing an audio edition just because I'm doing more I wish you would just for, just YouTube. do it for me, honey, please. Yeah. <laughs> I really, you know, I, it's so hard for me to read and audibles are the audios versions of books are just so helpful and I want to read your book so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe I should make an animated walkthrough version <gasps> of it for YouTube. That sounds wonderful. God, I love technology. Tell me before you go any further, how how was it that research caught you by the what was? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Cause really before anything else, science was the thing that captured my attention besides yeah. books. I always yeah. loved books from the time I was a kid. It's fun to see it in my kids. Um, but in seventh oh. grade, I learned about Punnett squares and genetics. And I'm like, this. This is fascinating. And ever since then, I just knew I was going to go to school for something like genetic engineering. And so I ended up going to college for biochemistry, um, which at the time I thought wasn't probably the best place for me studying because I like more like the organism level, like evolution. But uh -huh. now I'm writing my books about neurochemistry and biochemistry. And so it's really good to have a solid foundation there because the great metaphor and the reason I'm using Moby Dick is you're dealing with all of these neurotransmitters and enzymes and they don't yes. really feel real to people. But yes. if you make it a metaphor where the ocean is the, the human ocean. brain and then anandamide is your great white whale, um, oh. you can have all of these uh, creatures preying on each other, breaking each other down, changing what's happening in the neurons, which are giant underwater cities. And the metaphor was just so perfect that the first it's time so I read perfect. Moby Dick, it just helped. And it only gets better and better. The more I learn about uh, ocean and the more I learn about the brain, the more I see as above, so below type stuff going on. And the mm -hmm. metaphor just gets more and more rich. So for me, it was always about science. But then my angle as a science writer, drug writer, became talking to the people in the real world, doing these drugs, doing some of them myself as well, but then being able to explain the, the science of what's happening as well. I've become interested in the correlation between dendrites and hyphae. <laughs> so, you know, the whole ocean thing and the white whale, and I'm so right there with you. It's so That's wonderful. Great. It's all so interesting and fascinating, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And it just keeps being similar across all of these levels of science. And I think it's endlessly fascinating. Who was your first 
big interview, you know, that you were so thrilled about? Oh, uh, you know, that's a really good question. Um, I think the first one who really inspired me was Ethan Nadelman of the Drug Policy Alliance, mm. um, because he he has a he has a show right now that's really great uh, podcast that I would recommend people check out. But he um, just started the Drug Policy Alliance as a way to change the drug laws. But yeah. first, he did a whole bunch of reading. You could go you can still go into the DPA office in New York, and there's thousands of books and mostly it's just his personal library that he donated oh yeah wow. he got a really solid grounding of what was really happening in the world with drugs uh -huh. and then the drug policy studies that are sometimes helpful and sometimes out of touch and he created this powerhouse organization with the help of the money of george soros and mm -hmm. made an organization i think is so powerful for changing the world through laws and so to me, that was really inspiring a mix of study and practicality. And mm. ever since, I've tried to follow his work and stay in touch with him because that's what I'm hoping to do as well, to use this angle on science to actually make a change out there somehow. I just spoke uh, to Dr. Bridget Cole Williams, who is a mover and a shaker and trying to do the same thing in her realm of a uh, medical professional, trying to change the way uh, doctors are taught, trying okay. to change the system. And so I see what you're doing. And yes, I'm right behind you. That is so, it's just thrilling to be part of the engine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an well, it was an exciting time, and mm. now it's more in the gross business time of it all. <laughs> Corporate but, attitude. <laughs> yeah, but that's, you know, that's going to be part of it. Part and of so it, it's, yeah. It was fascinating to watch it happen with cannabis, and now it's fascinating to watch it happen in an even faster way with psychedelics. Um, they were both close to my hearts, and now you're seeing what happens when they actually get freed up. And, you know, it was obvious it was going to be messy, and here we are. It's messy. Right, right. As the whole world is. The whole world's just a big, messy jumble of humans and animals and bugs and, you know, waves going around in our thoughts and all our IMs. Hey, I'm um, I'm really – oh, jo I just lost the question I was going to ask you. Oh, um, pardon the pause. Dr. Raphael Mishulam just passed my audience may or may not know that I've been a little weepy over it, surprised at how it affected me like this, you know, but geez, what a power mind. And, uh, it, you know, and, and of course <laughs> we're so thrilled that he's transitioned and happy for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who's the next big, uh, who's the next big mind after him? Who do you think? Um, to me, the person I love to follow the most is Dr. Vincenzo DiMarzo. Alice oh yeah Lee. yeah oh yeah yeah he um because what's cool about demarzo is a he's very sweet and approachable like you know 10 years ago he's he uh, let me sit him down for an interview even though nobody knew who i was so dr oh. michelin did the same thing um and the cool part about dr demarzo is that he isn't just like one of the best endocannabinoid people with his publications and such he's one of the top 
chemist, biochemist in the entire world. And he just happens to be in this endocannabinoid field. So it's not yeah. that he's a giant in our little domain. He's a he's a giant in terms of science in general. Yeah. And we're lucky to have him here in, in endocannabinoid research. And so to anyone listening who doesn't know much about the science of this, but wants something really readable, if you look up a review article published with Dr. Vincenzo, Dr. Vincenzo DiMarzo, usually you're going to find something that's really readable with some nice charts that has a great link to everything that's been done. Okay. And yeah, the, you know, the primary research in, in science can be a little bit harder to get through, but the other thing that's published is review articles and review articles tend to be really good summaries of what's been done. And yes. so that's where I would get started. Um, the other place, I'll put a plug in if you want like a general Please. breakdown of science, but my yeah. newsletter is Cannabinoids and the People. It's on Substack. And I I go through um, and get pretty much every piece of science of cannabinoid science that comes out each week. And that includes a lot of really nicely done review articles. And so it's a good place to find what's going on for different diseases. Um, the other, an archive that I maintain is at cvresearch.info. It's for a CBD company that I consult with. And it has uh, by organs or by a number of different diseases, everything that CBD can do. And for each of those, there's dozens to, to hundreds of articles on each of those systems. And so it can be a really great way for a doctor or a healthcare professional or a patient to dive in and see what could help for you. I'll have those links available for my audience. Uh, you mentioned something my audience may not be familiar with, Substack. Oh, Substack? Uh -huh. uh, yeah, Substack's a big uh, newsletter uh, platform. And so there's a, a lot of people like me publishing on their small area of interest. And so it's just an easy way to get a, to, to put out a weekly newsletter. There you go. Okay, so there it is, audience. And again, I'll have uh, links to that. So here you are, big researcher, big book writer, big author, and this stuff just pours out of you like, you know, air and life itself. And, and it's so precious to hear that your children are interested in science like you were too. We need so much more of that. Yeah, yeah, it is fun. I have a bunch of books on female scientists here, and uh, I have a little history wall in the basement, um, and I try to keep that, all the, the key dates of feminism and um, that kind of stuff current. And it's what I do on my TikTok as well. I try to do science education around um, all the contributions of female scientists out there. I love TikTok for science. It is yeah. just so much fun and it makes science so easy and accessible for mm -hmm. those of us who may have been afraid of it, you know, because mm -hmm. we had the most boring science teachers in the world in the 50s and 60s. So <laughs> hate dating myself, but there it is. Um, and uh, your science wall, I saw that book of female scientists and I uh, took a screenshot of it and sent it to my daughter-in-law for my granddaughters. Oh, nice. And I love your history wall. <gasps> wow. It's just amazing fun to see you pick up those, uh, those little cards and say it on this date. You know, it, that was pretty cool. It's a great idea. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's fun for people who want to see um, my TikTok is at Lex Pelger and his books. And so it's a lot of science, a lot of history and a lot of hermeticism. I recently had my first viral video over my hermetic memory wall, um, which 
you know, as above, so below, it relates to the science stuff as well. So in case you're into TikTok, it's, uh, it's fun. I, I, I appreciate TikTok. It's the only platform I feel like I learn a lot on anymore. Oh, oh, and I don't have time to go visit it very much, but I see what the scientists in our tribe on LinkedIn are doing with it, you know, um, like uh, Dr. Cody Peterson, and and he does a bunch of stuff on, on TikTok that's just hysterical. But uh, Megan Bing and her brother, who uh, are, uh, ooh, I wish I could get this right, uh, green nurses, um, green caring nurses. Oh, shoot. I'll have that link in my show notes, too. But anyway, she does hysterical stuff, Megan Bing, on TikTok. And you just, your mind is blown with cannabis science. That's great. Yeah, it's so refreshing. It's TikTok will ban you pretty quick for that. I actually don't put anything about the plant on TikTok. I just keep that for YouTube. Yeah, I think she got banned from it. Uh, yeah, she did, uh, which I regard as a, you know, badge of honor. Yeah, yeah, but you just can't sink too much time into it because you just never no. know it's going to disappear. It's so what bad. are you sinking your time in now? What's big and coming up for you? Um. Well, my business is, um, you know, it takes a good bit of my time. Uh, it's White Whale Creations, and I make content for cannabinoid and psychedelic companies. But then for my my downtime, it's mostly trying to, to work on the next phase of my graphic novels about the endocannabinoid system. So I'm just re-releasing the first ones that I did uh, from before I had kids. And then um, the next one is the Elephant Folio, which is about how the scientists figured out the structure of the first cannabinoid we solved, which was CBN back around World War II. Uh, and the whole metaphor is uh, treating that cannabinoid like an elephant because well, it makes a lot of sense in the metaphor because elephants are just whales on the land. And so the cannabinoids from the plant are elephants. The cannabinoids in our own brains are whales. Um, and so I just have to uh, reformat that for self-publishing on Amazon. And that book will be up for sale again, too. And then I can get started from the very beginning of this whole uh, thing with Call Me Jasper. And then I'll lay out the whole human history with cannabis as well as the the science side. And then the last part is the Captain Ahab side with prohibition, you know, running rampant through all of human history. And then Harry Ainslinger and then Nixon and Reagan and Obama was no good either. Um, you know, I really try to focus a lot on the dark side of this. It's why Moby Dick is such a good inspiration because a lot of it's on the dark side of human character and cannabis has brought out awful awful things in in humans and our governance and i as much as i love the science side and find it beautiful and fascinating we have to focus on all of the lives that have been destroyed by this prohibition so that's uh that's a big focus of the of my reading uh which is depressing as well as my writing <laughs> yeah i am i'm stuck on one thing you said um that cannabis caused the bad stuff to come out of man. Yeah, or the reaction. Uh, what's the line from uh, from H. L. Mencken that uh, that American strain of Puritanism that you're afraid that somewhere somebody might be enjoying themselves, mm. and there's you know there's just this tendency in humans to impose your your will and and cannabis and other psychoactives of that ilk tend to bring out that that kind of reaction that and fear yeah yeah there's a there's a fear of loss of control just like that's human, it 
yeah, a human feels that fear of loss of control when they take a psychedelic. And I think there is a, um, a, a correspondence to how a society has a fear as psychedelics seep out into it that this could undermine everything about what we believe. And it's why the 60s had such a strong backlash. There's, you know, there's a, a people like blaming Timothy Leary these days for the excesses of the 60s, but mm. it doesn't really, and that, that brought the crackdown. But I don't think it's, I think, I don't think it's fair to blame him. He had a very mm -mm. utopian view of what these things could do and whoever popularized them, it was going to lead to a backlash because truly integrating psychedelics would break down a good bit of how society works now. And there is a lot of momentum against that happening. There's also a lot of momentum for it happening. I was recently in Miami for the Canadelic Conference oh, cool. with about a thousand close friends feeling like I was in the lap of love. And there was, you know, very, very little cannabis science going on, except maybe out of a panel of lawyers talking about D8. Okay. But what the clinicians who were there were discussing was how to open up a clinic for psychedelics and can cannabinoids and mm. um, and how to, you know, because it's all coming in um, across the United States, psychedelics are bef before cannabis. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is completely freed or legitimized or however you want to describe it at this point in the cannabis era. So I'm thinking, you know, that movement is, is actually gaining quite a bit of momentum too from medical professionals. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I, I, I know how people like to blame Timothy Leary for a lot of stuff, but when you look at, and you mentioned this, when you look at the AIDS epidemic that brought in and, you know, this flux of cannabis for relief mm -hmm. from the ravages of AIDS. And then you look also at the medical marijuana migration of the mothers who went to Colorado to try to save their epileptic babies. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's always cannabis has always been medicinal and it may always have been recreational too, but you know, we've got to get over these puritanistic ideas of control that, that, you know, uh, losing our minds to uh, a, a drug or a compound is a bad thing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the hard part is, as someone who studies the history, is how it feels like you have to keep putting up the good fight, but it's hard to imagine it ever really winning. Because you talk about the AIDS crisis. That's actually what the the book I just published, uh, I call it the queer chapter. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, it's all about how the AIDS crisis in San Francisco led to the birth of the idea of medical marijuana, pretty yes. much in the world, certainly in the US, because it was the yeah. only thing that worked. And it, and it worked so well that finally journalists started paying attention and the doctors. But even throughout all of that, the cops uh, started their eradication program and uh, called camp. And they just, in the midst of this, destroyed the medicine all up and down California. And even though it was so clearly working to anybody who paid attention, right. it just didn't matter at all. And the prohibitionistic uh, uh, 
kickback was so strong and it's never stopped. Camp is still burning plants every year. Not only that, they forbade the farmers from feeding their animals hemp and cannabis, which in turn got into all of us. So for the past hundred years of prohibition, thanks all of them, uh, the, you know, our population has not gotten any kind of complement of, of cannabinoids that they were getting before prohibition. So here we are with more ADD, more Parkinson's, more OCD, more ADHD, more, you know, all of these here, hello, IBS, hello, all of these, you know, autoimmune diseases, because we haven't had the, the cannabinoid complement to fight off any of that stuff. And we've just been getting sicker as a, as a society because of it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and even hemp seeds themselves are, yeah. they're still one of the main snacks in China, and they have this perfect fatty acid profile. Yeah for helping to balance out your lipid system. There it and, is. Yeah, and it's the reason that, I mean, to me, after studying this for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it's amazing how many diseases we have really solid uh, data on about the cannabinoids helping. And it mm -hmm. really speaks to the power of the endocannabinoid system, which is, it's important for people out there to know that the cannabinoids are lipids. They're really just fatty molecules. Just fat. Yeah. yeah. And it makes, and yes, it makes it much harder to study. It's one of the reasons it's not only prohibition. That means that these aren't as well studied. It's also fatty acids are slippery in a test tube and they're hard to study. Oh um, yeah. And, uh, and also lipids have been somewhat of a backwater of research for a long time. People focused on things like proteins and, and right. DNA because it's sexier. Now we realize they always thought lipids were just food. They were fatty acids that the cells use to produce energy. And it turns out that yes, of course you have this protein signaling system, but your lipid signaling system is even more, uh, fine tuned cells are excellent at detecting even the minutest changes in the fatty acids around them and responding to those changes. And so the endocannabinoid system, one of the best definitions I've heard about it is that because the endocannabinoid system is so tied up in your neuronal system, yes. your hormonal system, and your immune system, you know, the three biggest, most complex, most mysterious systems in our body, the endocannabinoid system seems to bring all three of those together. As and, a management, a regulatory, yeah, as like an overall, over yeah, yeah, an overall, an overall regulatory system, and it speaks to why fine tuning the endocannabinoid system helps in dozens and dozens of major diseases. Um, and, and ninety-eight for ninety-nine percent of the doctors on the planet don't know that there even exists an endocannabinoid system of receptors. Yeah, they weren't taught at school, and there's too many Not new taught. things to learn. And yeah, it's really tough. Hey, my friends, I want to give you a tip about a neurologist I know and trust. Dr. Anthony Mazzo is a highly rated specialist who is not quick to prescribe traditional synthetic chemicals when he knows that gentle cannabis plant therapy will likely give the needed relief. I know this to be true because I had to see him for my own old lady neuropathy issues. He did not prescribe the usual synthetic stuff, he told me to go get a particular kind of cannabis instead and use it in a very specific way to find relief. He also told me that smoking cannabis is like taking a shower when you're thirsty.
You'll get wet, but it won't go inside unless you drink it. He said that smoking should be used for acute symptoms, and ingesting will keep us healthy longer. Thank you, Dr. Mazzo. We think every doctor in America should have your knowledge in their little black bag. See his clinic details in my show notes. Dr. Anthony Mazzo in Melbourne, Florida at the Brevard Neuro Center. You know, a, a, a person I, I bet people out there would love to know about is someone I just did a video about, Dr. Candace Pert. Um, she is a scientific hero of mine because mm. one is she discovered the first endorphins in the human in humans and endorphins Ooh. are you know, endogenous morphine, you yeah. know, it, this pain killing system that we only found because of the opium plant. She was the first person to put that together, but her, uh, the, the doc, the researcher she was looking, uh, working for took credit for it and started winning prizes for her discovery. And instead, and that happens to a lot of grad students, but instead of, of, of not reacting and just taking it, she stood up as a grad student and post-grad wow. and started saying, this is not fair. This is my work, not his. And probably lost him his chance at the Nobel Prize for this stuff. And she became a bit of a pariah in the neurochemical community for daring to do that. And also probably, oh also she wore brightly colored dresses and laughed a lot and didn't come off as a typical drab person at these conferences. You know, she was a big, bright, colorful character. Yeah. Um, but she got more famous on the side of science of integrating different things. And so wow. to me, her great scientific reasoning is that we are operating under this false dichotomy, trichotomy, of the neuronal cells and the immune cells and hormone cells being three different things, when really oh. they should be viewed as one system. You should see immune cells as traveling neurons. You should see hormone hormone cells as slow acting neurons. And all three of these are constantly interacting in, and doctors tend to get buried in their own silo of whichever cell it is that they specialize in, but really they're all working together. And that in the future generations, we're gonna see this neurohormonal uh, immune system as one complete package. Uh, she wasn't talking about the endocannabinoid system specifically, but I do, I do think it also relates to that about how the endocannabinoids are involved in all those systems as well. But it's a, it was a really beautiful piece of scientific reasoning. And it also speaks to the power of some scientists not having to do their work in the laboratory. She did a lot of great laboratory work, but that was more an idea she had. Sometimes some scientists work best at the bar. They just sit there and talk to their friends about their research and get these overall overarching ideas mm. and she could also do that I and mean, that idea wow. is one that's never left me and is one that's percolating out into the wider world wow wow i love i love how that the how it ripples yeah oh, by, by the way her book is called the molecules of emotion and i don't know how many books i've read on brain cells and neurology it mm. is absolutely one of the best i've ever read and it's very readable so if you want to learn something about the brain by a beautiful soul uh, the molecules of emotion by dr candace pert I do indeed. And in fact, I feel like I'm already in the middle of reading a book exactly like that by Dr. Marjorie Willicott. Mm. And uh, she was, uh, uh, she's just an amazing author and, um, um, and woman. And, and would you mind telling me about your, your interview with her? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was about two years ago now. So, um, 
but she, if I remember correctly, she was um, a norm, a scientist, a scientist doing fairly normal work who got interested in what I would call supernormal phenomena. Uh, people might call it paranormal. Um, you know, outside the norm. So things like ESP and reincarnation and um, stuff of the mind being greater than the body. Is and, Reiki outside the norm? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, think, I think energy healing would fall under that. Um, and the thing about, I mean, I only got turned on to those to, to actually look into this, I don't know, five years ago by a guy named Dr. Jeffrey Kripal out of Rice University, who writes some great books about it. And mm -hmm. I didn't have much of an opinion of this supernormal stuff because I hadn't looked like, I don't know about telepathy or, you know, UFOs or yeah. any of that. Like, right. <laughs> well, maybe there isn't, I haven't looked because of him. <laughs> I started looking and I'm like, Oh my God, this stuff, it's just data. It's not, it's, you know, if you, if you trust people being able to tell you what's happening in front of them um, and don't just discount anecdotes. And as someone who works in the drug field, you can't discount anecdotes. Like nothing I've learned about LSD from studies in mouse in mice really right. matters to me. It's all about right. what people tell me. Yeah. Um, and when you start gathering the stories of reincarnation stories where kids end up knowing all kinds of things about a family on the other side of India, um, that how could they possibly know? And in any of Hello, Dalai stories, Lama. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just um, one of my one of my key th things about this is you really don't need any data collected after 1900 or so. If you looked at just the work of the Society for Psychical Research out of England in like the 1880s or looking uh -huh. at unidentified stuff in the skies before we had airplanes, uh, you can mm. see that in the work of uh, Charles Fort, who came up mm. with 14 phenomena. Um there is, it's just an overwhelming amount of data. And one of the things I really appreciate about it is anybody who soaks themselves in these fields is the first to admit, we don't know why. We have some guesses at the scientific theories about what might be going on with dimensions and the the, the basis of mind being uh, and not matter being at the base of of what's happening. But nobody really knows. You don't get to know the answers. And the best way to study it is to just look at all the phenomena. As Annie Dillard said, if you can't see the forest, study the trees. Keep <laughs> studying the trees for long okay. enough, and then you've got it. Um, and so if you're interested in this stuff, just start reading um, the – you know, I think Jack, uh, Marjorie Woolacott's book is really great on supernormal phenomena in general. Uh, Leslie Keen, if you want to know about the – you know, if you don't believe in UFOs, it means you're it means you're not as an evidence-based person, in my opinion. I can now say, read the book by Leslie Keene. That's all about radar signatures and militaries acknowledging what they've seen. Um, and so there's just there's so much out there on all of this stuff, and it's just fascinating and fun. If you're not, you know, if you're not into this, that's fine. You can't be into everything. But I really right. don't appreciate when people uh, dismiss it when you've never read even a book on the subject. Here's what I love about vibrations. You can take a vibration going into your, into your body, into your ear. And, and it, it, it's a, a sound thing that, that turns into an electrical thing that turns into a chemical thing. And, and you can direct all of that in your mind, according to these brilliant scientists who have been collecting all of these 
anecdotal testimonies about near-death experiences and how there is a bigger awareness and uh, space around us mm -hmm. that we have yet to discover and, and how to live um, in this body with the thing that started it to begin with that started the body to, that spark of life that started the body to begin with that thing is going to leave our body and where it goes we still don't know but we know it's it lives in us yeah if you don't believe in ufos <laughs> you're pretty narrow-minded <laughs> yeah yeah if you don't if you don't care either way great like whatever there's lots of things that i yeah. care about but yeah. don't be against it if you don't know i um, just love what you're doing yeah Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I think what you said about vibrations is one of the key ideas that people, one of the key theories that people talk about, about what's going on is that just like there is this electromagnetic spectrum yeah. and we can see a narrow band of it with our eyes and we can detect larger pieces of it, like radio waves or shorter ones like microwaves. And now we have equipment for that, but that there is something like that going on um, with these creatures, these beings, whatever entities that come in and out of existence here. And yeah. that just like, and the probably the best person to read on that theory is John Keel. And he was a journalist. I like journalists because I am one. I like their thinking. He doesn't, uh -huh. you know, he, he mentioned, he talks about the theories, but really he just collects a whole bunch of data and lets you, you know, try to piece it together. And one of the things being when there are these entity encounters, so often there's um, things that seem to indicate they're popping in like they're they're making themselves animate here in a space that's in an animate and to me the thing that might be going on is you know the majority of the universe is something we call dark matter or dark energy mm -hmm. uh the, and it's a mix of the two but no one has any idea what that really means those are stand-in words for us saying we know that this kind of stuff is out there, but even the words matter and energy might not apply to it. So we know there's this whole, the majority of the universe is completely invisible and unknown to us. And so to me, it could make a lot of sense. That is where the spirit world is. It is all of this stuff that we can just now sense is out there scientifically, but cannot access yet. And maybe the best people to access it are the mediums that Alan Kardec was was asking questions of a hundred years ago. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> I like getting lost in space with you, Lex. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, there's not many people I can talk to about the super normal side of things. Um, no. You know, more, usually it's more on the drug side, but you know, right. I think it all relates. And I see, I see some, I see very uh, scientific literal men online being like well all the entities that you see when you're taking things like dmt or lsd <laughs> that's all you know that's all in your mind it's like you you have a lot <laughs> of hubris if you're gonna say that it with the history of folklore with the history of religion and the entities that exist at the basis you know the base stories of all of these religions um as well as the entity stuff from the last hundred years to say that in this very narrow band of the entity thing, it's all in your head. I mean, it just shows you haven't looked at any of the other stuff, especially the history of folklore. The more I dive into that, the more I realize that none of this is new. And it used, these entities used to come in, they come in, you know, being processed by your mind. Um, and so it used to be, they would use religious phenomena because that's what worked. 
Um, but then it stopped working. The last great religious thing like that was the miracle of Fatima. And as John Keel says, it was a bit of a bust. It was this giant, like engineered thing. They, the entities kept coming back. The, the kids kept seeing them. Thousands of people would gather and see all of this crazy stuff happening. The sun bouncing around in the sky. I know the story of Fatima. <laughs> yeah. And it happened. And she, and at the very end, like the big buildup after months of this, like, a dog and pony show engineered yeah. by something, there was a text given to these kids. And then the text was just taken by the Catholic church and disappeared into the archives and no one's ever seen it. Um, and that's when things the started. Secret. To yeah. The, the secret disappeared. And that's when it started to shift from being a religious phenomena when they, when they would appear to a scientific one, because now, our religion is science, and we have a lot of people. I would scientism is the idea. Uh, this very blind faith in science, where it's like proven or not proven, um, when things haven't actually been studied. And so after that, you know, 45, 47, that's when the first scientific apparition started to happen with um oh. Arnold getting chased by things that looked like what we now think of as UFOs. But yeah. there was a definite mindset of the of the people that are filtering this and a different tack was taken after the miracle of Fatima failed to do whatever it was supposed to do. That miracle of Fatima. Do you, I, I, I thought a Pope was supposed to reveal that third, that third message uh, some 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't pay too much attention to the Catholic. Yeah, Church. I don't either I just know that he, the popes wear a dress because they're co-opting the the old female leaders. The guests well, have always liked. Uh, no denying drag is what I say. <laughs> you know, good. Some of my best friends are are queens. Anyway, um, God, it, this has been such a lovely uh, chat, and and like you, I don't often get to talk about that sort of. Um, mystical stuff going on in fact i usually save that for a different <laughs> totally different uh stage talking about the introspection of cannabis and what all it affords us and how we think and thought discipline that's a whole nother subject that i just adore and learning from these scientists has been uh fast a fast track to uh uh inner peace really mm -hmm. there, that's great. you know it was science that led me to spirit and to find out about all great. this. Yeah, that's great. I actually feel a pretty similar story. Mm. Uh, and, and I think, and I think that's, you know, a great point to, 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 to say here at the end is that for all the fun of studying these phenomena and what might be happening and the theories and the arguments that start to happen, like all that really matters is if you can take this stuff and help it, help yourself to live a better life you know mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. you know we all know what that means even though it's mm -hmm. hard to define it but you know it's about the fruits of the spirit that come out of this stuff and if you're using this these studies to just disagree with other people and and bash them which you see a lot of especially because there's you know a lot of disinformation campaigns being waged here um but i think you have to remember that it's really a, this needs to be a practical thing just like any spirituality does you know if this isn't helping you be less of a jerk to your wife or husband right. or kids or whoever, <laughs> you know, it, you know, who cares? You know, it's just, it's like dandruff. You just gives you something to fiddle with. <laughs>
<laughs> it's been so much fun to hang out with you and I appreciate your time so much. Would you tell my audience where you are? Uh, yeah, I'm in Bordeaux, France and uh, yeah, not too far from the ocean. And how, how is uh, the weather treating you today over there? It's great. The spring has just started. And uh, even though my kid, my oldest has chicken pox, it's not too bad. And she's sitting in the sun and reading books out there and we're having a chance to hang out today. So um, yeah, yeah. It's did a, you it's have chicken day. pox as a kid? I did. We all did. So yeah, yeah she too. could hang out with all of us. So, oh, which that's is good. good. Oh, yeah. God love her. Tell yeah. her we understand how she feels and <laughs> yeah. she's lucky to have her dad with her there. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, Lex, thank you again. I'm going to put all of these links in my show notes, uh, everybody. And please be sure and uh, check out um, LexPelger.com and find out just what is in his mind. It's such a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Friends. I'm just stunned to realize how difficult it is to find trustworthy, high-quality CBD products that are full-spectrum, you know, the whole plant, with all the natural compounds extracted for you to consume, as nature provided. They just don't carry it in the dispensaries in my town. They push their own isolate brands, and, you know, that's just not good enough for me. It doesn't have all the compounds. I've heard a lot of complaints about how to find consistent, over-the-counter CBD products, and I have a solution. Last year, I became an affiliate partner with Healer Hemp Products. Dr. Dustin Sulak, who created this line, is truly one of the greatest leaders in cannabis to this day, giving his patients relief from their issues for many years with his Healer CBD products that can be shipped now to all 50 states. I use his acidic version of cannabidiol, or CBDA. It has everything plus a lot more of the compound which Dr. Sulak and other leaders in this industry have found to be more potent, thereby using less, which ends up making a big difference in your wallet but it also adds many benefits to your body. Start lifting your quality of life with Healer CBD products today and check out that sweet discount just waiting for you in the link below. You've been listening to another Cannabis Truth Podcast with 21st century cannabis shaman, Honey Smith Walls. That's me about the importance of using verifiably safe products, the process of getting a diagnosis from your family doctor and taking your records to a cannabis specialist can lead you to the correct cannabinoid therapy for those issues. Otherwise, you're just your own guinea pig looking for answers without any foundational knowledge or ability to determine the best choices or strategies. To find a qualified cannabis expert in your area, visit CannabisClinicians.org. It is a National Society of Cannabis Experts, and you'll see that link down in my show notes. Unless otherwise proven by a reputable third-party lab test, please regard all street weed as contaminated. It may do grave harm to a patient with a delicate immune system who already has inflammatory issues like arthritis, IBS, fibromyalgia, or worse. 
Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you found value and understanding through my podcast. I have many more thoughts upon the subject that go in a more spiritual direction. So in that vein, please join my live stage every Sunday at 8 a.m. Eastern for Cannabis Truth on Clubhouse. Oh, I think I hear the cows calling.